Well, good morning again. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5? We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning, continuing our series through 1 Peter. Before we hear from God's Word, though, let's ask for His help. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we read Your Holy Word, I ask that You would give us Your Spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know Your Son, Jesus Christ, better. Open our minds, our hearts, and our wills so that we may hear Your Word and believe it. Speak, Holy Spirit. Your people are listening. Amen. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. As we work our way through this text today, I have five questions in the outline that are going to guide uh, our sermon today. First question is, why does Peter bring up elders now? Secondly, what is an elder? Thirdly, what do elders do? And then correspondingly, what is the flock called to do? Fourthly, how should they do it? And then finally, why should they do it? So the first question is, why does Peter bring up elders right now? If you remember last week, at the end of chapter 4, Peter talked to us about the suffering that should not surprise us, this fiery trial that shouldn't surprise us as Christians. And he ended with judgment that is coming on unbelievers who persist in sin and don't turn to God. Now he's talking about elders and how they should shepherd God's people. This seems like an odd jump, but he starts the passage with, so, so I exhort the elders among you. This is a word of connection to what he just said. What he says about elders follows what he just said to us at the end of chapter 4, and the key is found in verse 17 of chapter 4. Look there with me. Peter says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Peter uses this to talk about judgment that is coming for those who persist in their sin. But when he says that judgment begins at the household of God, he's referencing back to the prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah who prophesied during the time of Israel's exile, and particularly Ezekiel and Jeremiah prophesied against the leaders of God's people, the shepherds of Israel. 
I think that's the background to what Peter is saying and why he turns to elders now. So let's hear a couple of passages from Ezekiel and Jeremiah that speak to the elders, the shepherds of God's people. The first is from Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 6. He says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Then this is what the Lord says in Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 4. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord." God's people have always faced suffering for being God's people. And from the very beginning, God instituted leaders in the Old Testament, kings and priests, to care for and lead His people in the midst of their suffering. What these two passages are saying is that instead of tending the sheep and caring for them, the shepherds were using them for their own gain. And so Peter turns now to the elders of the church, the New Testament shepherds of God's people. He looks to them in the midst of the suffering of God's people that we just talked about at the end of chapter 4, and he wants to be sure that they are providing for God's sheep what they truly need. Remember, because of his focus throughout this letter on our identity as exiles and strangers in this world, Peter has been building, he's been constructing a particular image of the church. The image of the church he's been giving to us is that of an asylum or a shelter, a safe haven for God's people. It's where we experience familial love. It's where that love covers a multitude of our sins, where hospitality is shown freely and where gifts are used to serve one another. It's where holiness and suffering well are lifted up and encouraged. The church should be a sanctuary in the midst of a hostile world for God's people. 
We operate differently than the world. So the suffering that we experience in the world should not be compounded within the church. Peter recognizes that this is not always the case. Indeed, it has not been the case throughout the history of God's people. He recognizes that sometimes the very place we go for shelter and safety is the place that causes the most pain. He recognizes that the church often has trouble being the church. And it ought to sober us, especially those of us who are elders, that Peter turns from the judgment of God immediately to address us as elders. This idea isn't unique to the Old Testament. It's not unique to Peter. It shows up multiple times in the New Testament. James says in James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And the author to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 13.17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. The Bible teaches that leaders, teachers, elders of the church will stand before God on the day of judgment and give an account for those who were put under their care. The elders of our church will answer to God for how they have cared for you, how they have loved you, how they have fed you and encouraged you toward holiness. This word that we see here that Peter uses, exhort, is a plea. I beg you, God says, to lead and shepherd my flock in this way, in a way that protects rather than hurts them, in a way that feeds them rather than preys on them. That's the connection between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 as Peter turns now to address the elders. The second question is, what is an elder? This is something that Peter assumes as he writes it. He brings up elders as if his readers already know what they are. But just as a reminder for us, the New Testament tells us that an elder is a man in the church who meets certain qualifications set down by God. Those are primarily found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And he is called to lead God's church along with other elders. He's chosen out from among God's people and appointed to be an elder. So it's an office, a calling to lead and serve God's people. The Greek word that Peter uses here that we translate elder is presbyteros, which is where we get the word Presbyterian from. Presbyterians historically are those who believe that the Bible teaches that elders ought to lead the church. This is different than the idea that bishops or some other higher authority or higher office ought to lead the church. We don't believe that there is any higher office in the church than elder. The belief that bishops and various higher offices ought to lead the church are held to by Roman Catholic, Orthodox, and Anglican or Episcopal churches. The word bishop does actually show up in our text today. It's the Greek word episkopos. That's where the word episcopal comes from. And it shows up in verse 2, the verb form of that word. And Peter tells the elders to exercise oversight. Episkopos is one who oversees or watches 
over. And we believe those two words, presbuteros and episkopos, are used interchangeably in Scripture. It's not talking about two separate offices, one lower and one higher, but they're used to refer to the same office. There are no higher offices than an elder in the church. And now some of you might be sitting there and thinking, wait a second, Mitchell, aren't you a pastor? Don't you help lead the church? What about you? What are you? Yes, it's true, I'm a pastor, but my technical designation is an elder. In the PCA, we believe that there are different kinds of elders, but they are the same in rule and in authority. We recognize a difference between gifts and roles, those who are seminary trained and vocational. We call those teaching elders. That's what I am. That's what Brandon was. And then there are those who are called from within the church, ruling elders, which is what all the other elders in our church are. But the church is not led by pastors or teaching elders with a little bit of help on the side from ruling elders. No, the church is led by elders, plural, together. There is no hierarchy of authority on the session. Each person gets one vote, the same amount of authority. And it's texts like this that are one of the big reasons why we believe that. Look at what Peter refers to himself as. In verse 1, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. If anyone could claim a higher office, it would be Peter. Plune just read Peter in Acts 2, standing up after Jesus had ascended into heaven and leading the apostles, preaching on the day of Pentecost. Peter is who Roman Catholics believe was the first bishop of Rome or the Pope. But notice, Peter doesn't claim a higher authority in this text. Because after the death of the apostles, there isn't a higher authority in the church than an elder. So what is an elder? An elder is a man in the church called by God to help lead God's people. The next question is, what exactly do elders do? Look at verses 1 and 2 with me to see what Peter says. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That's the one imperative, the one command given to elders in this passage. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. I want to point out another command in this passage that's given to others. Look at verse 4 with me. Excuse me, verse 5. The command is to those who are younger. This is not necessarily an age distinction, but all those who are not elders. He says to them, be subject to the elders. And what we realize from these two calls, the call to lead and the call to be led, is that this is how leadership works, especially in the church. Leadership is never a one-way command. If you remember back in chapters 2 and 3, we saw the same phrase three times. Be subject, be subject, be subject. And Peter was mainly speaking to believers as those who are under authority in a hostile world outside of the church. But here he is speaking to us inside the church. This is much more like what Paul does in Ephesians 5 and 6. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands... And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Servants, obey your masters. Masters, stop your threatening. Whenever someone is commanded to lead in the church, someone else is commanded to be led, either implicitly or explicitly. Peter is not just telling the elders to lead well in this text, but he is also telling the congregation to receive that leading. And then Peter gives one more command, and this command is to everyone, both to the elders and to the rest of the congregation. The second half of verse 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is required for everyone. It's required for those in the congregation because it takes humility to be led by someone especially when you know those people and you know that they are not perfect. And humility is required for the elders. You must lead not with arrogance and bravado, but as fellow heirs of the grace of Christ with those whom you are leading. So the command to elders is shepherd the flock. And the command to the congregation is be subject to the elders. And the command to all of us is clothe yourselves with humility. When we hear shepherd, we aren't shocked because we're churchly people. We're around the church. We've read the Bible. This metaphor of a shepherd shows up a lot in the Bible. But this metaphor is also quite distant from us. It's unlikely that on your drive here today, you were driving, driving up North Rutherford and you saw a shepherd shepherding some sheep. Even if you own sheep, the idea of sheep being shepherded is much more distant from us than it would have been in the Mediterranean world that Peter is writing to. So we need a little bit of help with that metaphor. What does Peter mean when he tells the shepherds to shepherd the sheep? What does the metaphor entail? The Bible teaches us that shepherding involves at least four things. Knowing the sheep, feeding the sheep, leading the sheep, and protecting the sheep. Knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting. The first thing seems pretty obvious, but shepherds ought to know the sheep. The other three functions all flow from this, because it's only in knowing the sheep that the shepherds know when to lead, when to feed, and when to protect. Jesus gives this aspect of shepherding in John 10, 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Peter alludes to the same, or Paul alludes rather, to the same thing when he's speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. In verse 28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Pay careful attention. This is a picture of knowing the sheep. Elders, you must know those under your care. Now, this is where we're going to see that there's a responsibility not just for the elders who are leading, but for those who are being led. A shepherd must know the sheep, which means that you, as a congregant, must be known. That's one of the needs of God's people, to be known by those who are leading them, to be watched over. So when Ron or Peter says, hey, how have things been going with the new job? Answer honestly. 
say, it's been really hard, or I've been having a really hard time with my boss. When things begin to turn south and you're on your way to the hospital, call me, call Kim, call Plune. Let us know you. When you are struggling with something that the Bible teaches, don't struggle alone. Reach out and seek help. You must be known by those who are leading you. The second thing that the Bible teaches us is that shepherds feed the sheep. Feedings constantly uses the Bible as a metaphor for giving God's word to God's people. When Jesus is fasting in the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan to turn the stone into bread, he responds with a quote from Deuteronomy. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The feeding that the elders are called to do is giving them God's word. That feeding comes in preaching, but it also comes in Bible studies, comes in conversations over meals. In Acts 6, the apostles are met with pressing physical needs in the church, and their response is that they need to appoint deacons to bear that load because their primary calling was to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Elders, you are called to feed and nourish God's people with God's Word. You don't feed them with yourself or with your own passions or hobby horses. You feed them with God's Word. The call here again is not just to the elders, but also to the congregation. When Audrey, our five-year-old, was a baby and started eating solid food, she would do the same thing every time that we sat her down in the high chair and she didn't want to eat. So we'd sit her down, she'd look at the food in the spoon, look up at me, she'd close her mouth real tight, look down like this, and shake her head. That's a lot less obvious in this sanctuary on a Sunday morning. But how many times have you walked in here, looked up at the preacher, folded your arms, and done this in your heart? Elders are required to feed God's people with His Word. You are required to receive God's Word from your elders. That is how you are sustained and nourished with God's Word. The third aspect of shepherding is leading. We see this in the picture of a shepherd in Psalm 23. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. This is probably what most of us think of when we think of elders. Decision-making. It's true, that's what elders do sometimes. They make some of the bigger decisions in a session meeting or in a presbytery meeting. But this isn't just done in a formal, macro way. It's also done in what Peter's talking about in verse 3, when he commands the elders to be examples to the flock. This is leading by example in their Christian life. It's walking with Christ in front of the congregation and with the congregation. Our book of church order says this when it says, all those duties which private Christians are bound to discharge by the law of love are especially incumbent upon elders. Elders, you are not exempt from the day-to-day -day Christian living that all Christians 
are called to. You are not exempt from obedience to Christ because you are in a position of authority. You are called to diligently pursue the Lord in obedience. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is what Christian leadership looks like. Follow me as I follow Christ. The flip side of this, your response, may be the hardest of all of them because it's where we feel the most out of control, especially when big decisions are made. Everyone can be led when the people making the decisions agree with you. But what do you do when the elders make decisions you don't like? Do you submit yourself to the government of the church like you promised in your membership vows? Or do you complain that none of the elders thought through decisions as much as you would have? This isn't a blind following, just as we talked about in marriage. There are limits on the authority that is given to elders. We know both from experience and scripture that elders are not infallible. Sessions, presbyteries, general assemblies are not infallible. Have conversations with the elders. Disagree. Learn from them. Give them your input. But when the final outcome isn't what you would have done, what does submission to God and his leaders look like? The final part of shepherding that the Bible gives us is protection. Here are Paul's words again to the elders in Acts 20. He says to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. While being led might be the hardest for the sheep, protecting might be the hardest for the shepherds. You saw that Paul said that his admonitions were made with tears. Elders, even when it comes at great cost to you, you are called to protect God's flock. The first kind of protection Paul's talking about is protection from false teachers. Those who desire to draw people away from healthy doctrine. Part of this is the teaching ministry of the elders, that they see false teaching in the church or in culture, and they draw attention to it and correct it for those in the church. This is protection from those outside. Another kind of protection of God's people, though, is protecting us from ourselves. The Bible teaches that sin deceives us. It tricks you into thinking that you're doing what God would want when you're really destroying yourself. The whole congregation, but especially the elders, are tasked with watching over you and alerting you when your sin is destroying you, especially when you can't see what it's doing. This is why the call to humility in verse 5 is so important. No one wants to be told they're wrong. It hurts our pride but God commands it. He commands us to humble ourselves in order that we might be protected. So this is what elders do. They shepherd the flock. 
exercising oversight. They know the sheep, feed the sheep, lead the sheep, and protect the sheep. And the whole time the sheep are not passive, but are actively and humbly being led, receiving that leadership as a gift of God as it was intended to be in this broken and difficult world. The next thing Peter tells us in this text is the way the elders are to shepherd. Not just what they are to do, but how they are to do it. The text gives us three three pairs saying, don't do this, but do this. Read verses 2 through 3 with me. He says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter here is telling the elders not to be like the shepherds that we saw in Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23. The shepherding of the elders is meant to benefit the sheep, not the shepherds. This is why the call to humility for elders is so important. It's what Paul says in Philippians 2 when he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is hard. Some of you in here have seen shepherds who want to domineer and run the church, or who are wheeling and dealing and trying to push their own agenda or their own brand. You've seen shepherds who are devouring the sheep. With power comes temptation to abuse that power. Elders, watch yourselves. Do not use your power and authority to benefit yourself. But instead, remember that it is given to you from God and humbly give of yourself for the good of God's people. For everyone else, pray, pray, Pray. Pray for your elders. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give us humility. Pray that we would fill ourselves up with Christ so that we are full of Him. Pray that God would give grace to our families. Pray for us, because we too are sinners in need of the grace and wisdom of Jesus. We come now to the final question that Peter answers for us in verse 4. Why would anyone ever be an elder? Why should you do this? If it's a hard calling, if it's one that makes you liable to temptation and stricter judgment, why do it? Verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The goal of all true leaders of God's flock is that they would please the chief shepherd that they would please the one from whom they derive their authority. Whether you are a shepherd or a sheep, an elder or a congregant, you don't put on an air of false humility so that others might praise you and exalt you. No, we are called to truly humble ourselves as servants of one another and of the Lord in whatever position God has given us. And Peter follows this whole section with verse 4 
with the result of our humility, service, and obedience to God. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. In this way, just as we have been throughout this entire letter, we are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, our risen King, who emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Would you all pray with me? Father, we pray that You would give us humility We do not have it in and of ourselves. So as we celebrate the Holy Spirit being poured out on us, would you give us that fruit of your Holy Spirit? That we wouldn't be big in our own eyes, but that we would trust in Jesus, that we would look to our King, that we would rejoice that He is exalted, that He is lifted up, and that we would follow after Him. Do that in us, we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.